So I want to take you back into Kings today. And I know Kings and Chronicles are kind of those books where you go, oh my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. Good king, bad king, good king, bad king, good king, good king, bad king, bad king, like seriously. But I want to take us back in and we're going to be settling around um, the second son of King Ahab. Do you remember King Ahab? Yeah, so just some background. Israel was a big kingdom, big-ish in those times. And then, and that was when King David was king, right? Yeah. And um, the thing is, what happened is that Israel split into Israel, Maine, and Judah, and they became two separate kingdoms, and each one had their own king. And it's why, through Kings and Chronicles, we see good king, bad king, good king, bad king, because they're changing every two minutes, because there are actually two, two kingdoms that we're talking about. So when we're talking here, um, we're talking about uh, the king of Judah and the king of Israel, and these guys decide to get together. Now, the king who's on the throne, the two kings, one's called King Jehoshaphat. Now, you know about King Jehoshaphat because King Jehoshaphat is the one who went out to battle. Jesus said, God said, hey, I've got this. And he, in response to that, put his worshippers out the front and they led the battle. You know the story of this guy, right? Yeah, and God gave them an amazing victory. It was incredible. So this is Jehoshaphat's past. He has seen God break through for him in amazing ways. He knows God. He walks with God. He's a good king, okay? Now, King um, King Jehoram, the other guy, isn't quite so good. So he's the second son of Ahab. Ahab was the husband of Jezebel. Like All the red flags that are going off in your head right now are correct. Yes, it's that Ahab and Jezebel. It's the one that um, tried to challenge Elijah with all the bales, and he called down fire in the mountain, and then he ran off to his cave depressed. Yeah, you remember? You remember the story? Okay, so Elijah, when he's in that cave, he makes the mistake of turning against the people of Israel rather than interceding for them. And at that point, um, so he blames them. He goes, God, all these people are doing this and they're doing that and doing the other. So when faced with the same, I was not going to go here, when faced with the same situation where God said to Moses, hey, Moses, the people have messed up, um, you know, get out of the way. I'm going to keep you and smite all of them and we'll just have you. And Moses went, whoa, hang on a second. That's not consistent with who you are. That's not consistent with your character, which I think God loved by the way. He loved, he loved that interaction with Moses. And Moses interceded for the people and said, no, God, we've got to stay together. This is about your name. And God went, yes, amen. I believe in that. And that's what he did. When faced with the same situation, Elijah turned against the people. And the next thing we see is God telling Elijah to hand over to Elisha. I don't know why I said that. Someone on here might need it. Our calling is always for people, not against them. We're the flesh and the blood. And all the Psalms that we, the Psalms that we read about, about God annihilating our enemies. That's talking about the spirit realm. You cannot apply that verse to your neighbor who you hate. I'm sorry. I know I just made it a really bad day for somebody. So this is the setting. Okay, so King Jehoram is the second son of Ahab and Jezebel, and that's his heritage. That's who he's grown up with. He's grown up with a really crooked mum and a pretty weak and feeble dad, okay, who've done a lot of wrong things. And as a result, Elijah didn't like Ahab and Jezebel, Elisha does not like them either, because Jehoram also, Jezebel's still alive at this point, Ahab's dead, and Jehoram is letting his mum get away with murder. Like, he's continuing on the bell worship, he's doing all this kind of stuff, and Elisha's not too happy about that. The thing is, during Ahab's time and his first son's time, they, they had these tribes that they'd conquered that would pay them tribute, and as soon as Jehoram comes king, the tribes go, oh, you know that deal we had with your dad? we're not going to do that with you, which Jehoram isn't very happy about. Okay, so he decides to go to war, and this is just, this is Kings and Chronicles, isn't it? 
give me tribute. No, I won't. Well, I'll go to war with you then. Yeah, all the way through. So we're in 2 Kings 3. And Moab has said to King Jehoram, we're not going to give you all those fleeces that you like so much anymore. And um, Jehoram obviously has something to do with those fleeces because he's not very happy. So he says, oh, by the way, Jehoshaphat has allied their kingdoms in marriage with Jehoram. Was that a good idea? Do you think God thought that was a good idea? No, 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 not a good idea. Not a good idea. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and said, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? Remember they're allied in marriage? How much choice does Jehoshaphat have? No, you don't turn down alliances unless you want to cause more wars. And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go up? So they have two options here. They can go up a straight highway that's got lots of ups and downs, but it has food and water. It's called the King's Highway. Or they can go a really long route that takes about seven days and has no food and water in it. Okay? And he said, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. That's the long way. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, the king of Israel, Jehoram, who doesn't like God, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the land of Moab. So into the hand of Moab. So after rebelling against God all his life, he's now complaining that God is trying to, oh my goodness, it sounds like us or something. But Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. How fortuitous. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, Jehoram, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Go off, you know, Baal can help you. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Isn't that convenient? And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Elisha obviously doesn't like this guy, right? But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musicians played that the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches, For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand, and you shall utterly destroy them, basically. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by the way of Edom, and the land was filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, And they stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, This is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now therefore, Moab, to the spoil. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked them, so that they fled before them, and they entered their land and completely routed them. You get the picture. Yeah? Great outcome. Great outcome. So I just want to go through some of this because this is one of the few places in the Bible where we see two people going through exactly the same situation and one of them has God's perspective and one of them hasn't got a clue. 
You know, we see David going through stuff and praising God, and we see um, the enemies of God going through stuff and, and stuff like that, but very rarely do we see those two people going through exactly the same situation together, and very rarely can we actually see what the outcome is when that happens. So we're going to kind of, we're going to go through some of this because, I mean, really, I'm only speaking to people who have trouble in their life. So if you've never had trouble in your life and you never intend to have trouble in your life, you can leave, you're good, like this will be completely irrelevant for you, and off you go. But if you have any trouble in your life or you think you might in the future, you might want to have a listen in because this might help you. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. So if we know we're going to have trouble, it kind of makes sense to try and get some kind of battle plan for when trouble comes, right? Do you agree? Okay, so that's what we're going to do this evening. Some of you will be in the middle of it. Some of you haven't quite hit it yet. Some of you have just come through it and are breathing a sigh of relief. So I think one of the first things that we need to note here is Jehoshaphat made a really bad decision. He made a bad decision to alliance himself with Jehoram, with a Baal worshipper. Not a good decision. He made a bad decision to go to war with Jehoram against these kings. Bad decision. He made a bad decision not to ask God first whether or not he should go. Yeah? Three bad decisions in a row. God should kick him out or something, shouldn't he? Should he? I've met lots of Christians like that who think, you know, a couple of strikes and you're out. No, no, no. What God did is not just plan victory for him, but he actually set him up with a way to hear him in the middle of the trouble. Elisha was there. They were seven days' trek away from the main Israel. What on earth was Elisha doing there? So God had placed a means by which Jehoshaphat, who he loved, could get in contact with him and could hear his voice in the middle of the place of trouble, despite him messing up three times already. It's pretty cool, isn't it? We actually serve a pretty cool God. Like, people look at the Old Testament and say, see, it's the God of anger. And I'm like, eh. Actually, I'm seeing a pretty gracious God a lot of the time. I'm seeing a God who really looks after his people. I'm seeing a God who sets people up so that even when they're in the midst of madness that was self-inflicted, there's still a way out for them. I'm seeing a God who pre-plans ways out of situations and ways back to him in the middle of the worst possible thing we could do that we, we didn't fall into. No, 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 we made very deliberate decisions that got us there. He's so kind, isn't he? Yes. So, number one, if you got into your trouble by a bad decision, if you get into your trouble by a bad decision, just remember God's not against you because of your bad decision. He will always be there he will always provide a way for you to hear him. If you can't hear him in the middle of your trouble, it's more likely because you feel guilt and shame and have turned away from him than he ever turned away from you. It's a really good thing to remember because I'm sure you'll hit trouble sometime in your life and you'll think that he's turned his back on you and he hasn't. He is right there ready. Not just with a way for you to hear him and access him, but with a, a way of salvation. Isn't that what he's always done? You know, he planned Jesus to come before we even messed up. He's incredible. So we see Ahab, uh, sorry, Jehoram, and we see Jehoshaphat, and we see them in the same predicament. And Jehoram's way of dealing with this is to complain about it. Oh, God's against us. Oh, God obviously led us into it. 
the other way, that's the other lie the enemy will say to you, by the way. Oh, God was leading you into this to teach you a lesson. Like people say, oh, no, you're ill because God's trying to teach you something. No. No. He's the healer. How would a healer send disease? We need to get out of this mindset because as soon as you start agreeing with the enemy in this kind of thing, you make God, God's power in a situation completely, you neutralize it. You don't give him room to work. If you believe that God sent you your disease, then by the way, you shouldn't be going to a doctor because that would be against the will of God to get healed. We do crazy things. Like, we, we are completely hypocritical. No, God didn't give you your disease. Jolly will go to a doctor, get prayer, like, get healed. Whatever it is, whatever it takes, get free of that thing and move on. God did not send it to teach you a lesson. I love what, I think it's um, what Bill Johnson says. God didn't send cancer to teach you a lesson. He sent Jesus to teach cancer a lesson. He, doesn't, he can't give you something he doesn't have. And he's not a child abuser. It's, it's what we think, right? Like, we think that God's abusing his kids, and we, we attribute all this abuse to God that we wouldn't put on a person, because if they did the same thing as a dad, they'd be a child abuser. Yeah, hmm. yeah, we're weird, aren't we? Very inconsistent. So the first thing that we see with Jehoram and Jehoshaphat is Jehoshaphat goes to God. He goes, okay, God, I'm in a sticky situation. What are you saying here? And this is the first thing that we tend not to do in a situation. We flap first, don't we? I know you do. <laughs> We flap first. Like, that's the first thing we do. We come into a situation and we just go, oh, my goodness, Trump just became president. What are we going to do? The world is going to fall apart. <laughs> Did you see the ripple through the world? Yeah. It's madness. It's madness. So God obviously was really shaken when Trump came into power. Like, he, he, like obviously, that day was a really bad day in heaven. And he just got off and he said, I'm not sure what we're going to do. This is a complete surprise. We are in meltdown church. No wonder, you're, no wonder you're concerned. Didn't he? I don't think that's what it looked like. But it's what we behave like. Every situation you come to in life, you can choose what reality you're going to agree with. You are an incredibly powerful person because you possess the power of agreement. And you can use your agreement to agree with God. That's called faith. Or you can use your agreement to agree with the enemy. That's called fear. Whichever one you agree with, you invite that reality to become your reality. Say so you're sitting at home, you're watching TV, and this advert for laundry powder comes on. It is the most amazing laundry powder you have ever seen. You have been waiting all your life for this laundry powder. You see it and you go, oh my goodness, this is the answer to all of my problems. You, you fling the, one, the front door open, you race down to the shop, you elbow your way through the crowds, you grab the laundry powder, you put it through the till, obviously, good Christian. Then you run home and you use your laundry powder and very soon all your clothes are smelling of laundry, the laundry powder that you saw. What happened? You, you um, heard a truth coming from the TV and you agreed with it and you brought that reality into your world. The same happens in the kingdom. So in every situation we walk into, say it's a son that's wandering off and, you know, possi possibly hang, starting to hang around some people that probably wouldn't be that good for him. And um, I don't know, you're not sure, but there might be some drugs in the scene and, and you're starting to get worried as a parent. And the enemy will be giving you a newsfeed. And the enemy's newsfeed, newsfeed will sound something like, this is terrible. 
there is no way back. He's just going to end up as a complete dropout. His life will be wasted. There's, like, he's, just gonna, he's not going to listen to you. This is going to be terrible. Everything about the enemy's newscast will steal, will kill, will destroy, will take away hope, will take away life, will make you feel not good at all. And then God will have a newsfeed coming in your direction, and it'll be, this is going to be amazing. You are going to see how I'm going to turn this around. This, your son has such an incredible calling on his life, and nothing is going to rob it. You'll see what I do. This is an amazing strategy, and it's going to be for his good and for your good. The newsfeed from heaven is always full of hope. It's always full of life. It's always full of, um, full of good things and lovely things and things that are worthy of praise and honorable and all the things that we're told to think about because that's what God is. That's his character. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He's, um, I love to say that the enemy's gravestone will say, it backfired again. <laughs> he can't win on his best day because God already won. God's equal and opposite is not the enemy. The enemy's equal and opposite is an archangel. They're both created beings. God's way up here. No, no. No contest. It's not like James Bond and one of the baddies. Like, it just isn't. God's so far above. And so we're always, we're always faced with these two options. Will I hear what God's telling me and will I agree with that? That's called faith. Or will I hear what the enemy's telling me and will I agree with that? And that's called fear. And whichever one you agree with, you actually empower it into your world. See how powerful you are? And you've got this newscast coming at you for every situation in your life. Every situation. You've got it about your grades in school. You've got it about what's going on with your job. You've got it about what's going on with the person in your family who's ill. Every single situation in life, there will be two news feeds. It's just that we're so used to tuning into the enemy's news feed that we don't stop to hear God's and find out what his is saying. The enemy has no power. Jesus said, all authority belongs to me on heaven and earth. How does the enemy get power? Through convincing you to agree with him. Convincing you to not just feel fear, because that's normal, but to partner with it. Start believing it. So what's happening in this context? Well, Jehoram has no option other than to believe in the enemy, does he? He doesn't have access to, to what God is saying, really, in his life. He's never known that. His parents are Ahab and Jezebel, for goodness sake. The best truth he has is Baal's, and that's not truth. So the world, when President Trump gets elected, they get to be headless chickens. They've only got one news feed. Yeah. We're not the same. As soon as you became a Christian, you lost the right to be a headless chicken. I'm sorry to break it to you. You no longer get to panic. You no longer get to go, oh, no, everything is going very badly pear-shaped. Because every time you hear something on the news that's distressing, or every time you hear about something, yes, you can mourn, yes, you can be concerned. We're not saying deny reality, but we are saying tune in to the right news feed. Because there will always be a better one that you can choose to partner with as a Christian. And by the way, only Christians, only believers can choose to partner with that. And there are enough people in the world already partnering with the enemy, so it's just as well that you do. This is how we shift stuff. So Elisha tells these guys, okay, guys, you who have been marching for seven days without any food or water, I want you to dig loads of ditches in this desert floor. Do you think they were very happy about that? You want us to do what? We've just been marching for seven days. We're tired. We're hungry. We haven't had water in a very long time. Like even the animals are fainting, for goodness sake, and you want us to get out shovels and start digging ditches in the floor based on what this random prophet said. Often what God tells us to do in the context of our trouble will not make sense. 
often it costs us somehow. Like, it's just like, really, God? Is that really what you want me to do? A few years ago, I was in a really, really, really rubbish season, and I had decided I was never going into medicine again, thanks very much. I was quite happy doing what I was doing. And God said, actually, the way out of this season for you is to go back into medicine. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. It's not in a million years do I want to be a doctor again. Like, no, no, I can get way more people healed this way. <laughs> and I, said to, I ended up saying to him, okay, God, I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be made willing. <laughs> and so I went to bed one night going, okay, God, I will do this, but you, like, you're going to need to help me here. And I woke up in the morning willing and applied for medicine and got back in. And it was hard work because I'd been out for three years full-time itinerating, hadn't I? I'd flushed all the medical knowledge from my brain really well. Often God will give us a strategy in our circumstances that doesn't make sense, that feels hard, that seems to stretch us even further somehow. We don't get it. But the key is to go with it. The key is to run, to just keep giving him our yes in that place. To, to keep saying yes, to keep on stepping forward, to run to him, not, if, not from him, not thinking that he sent it for some kind of bad reason, but realizing that he can turn it for good, even though it wasn't his idea. So these guys, they dig the, bit, dig the ditches, and then, that was a very close slip there, wasn't it? They dig the ditches, and then God says he's going to fill them with water. So now, not just have they, they've walked their seven days, not just have they got to the point where now they're really, really tired after digging ditches, hoping for water, but the water doesn't come. It doesn't come that night. They're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and it's evening, and it's nighttime, and they're even hungrier and thirstier than they were a few hours ago, and they're waiting. And it's not until they give the morning sacrifice, which is worship, by the way, that the ditches get filled with water. Sometimes even after we've done everything God wants us to do, and even after we've, we've done the extra thing and we've gone the extra way, it doesn't mean the struggle's over. It doesn't mean that suddenly everything's better. Like everyone somehow thinks that you get a promise from God, you do it, and pop, everything's good. And it doesn't work that way, does it? It's just like a bit harder than that. And so what, what we can do and um, what these guys were telling us as we were, go, as we were ending worship is when everything's gone crazy and you don't know what to do, then what to do is worship. And we can turn our face towards Jesus. And this isn't like that whole worship thing where we're like going, well, I'm jolly well going to worship God because he's not. I need to try and make him do something because he's just, he's just not playing ball which is how we often worship in this situation. It's the worship is not for him, it's for us. It's to fill our vision with him again. It's to remind ourselves of who he is. And in that place of reminding ourselves of who he is, of offering him worship, that gets our hands off the situation and it enables him to come in. Have you heard the, the song by Rita Springer, Defender? It's an amazing song. It says, you go before I know that you've even gone to fight my war. You come back with the head of my enemy and call it my victory, and all I did was worship. It's this incredible picture of worship as warfare. And what, we're not warring in our worship. We're not trying to pull down strongholds. We're not doing that kind of stuff. We're just giving Jesus the credit. We're just being devoted to him. We're just lifting him up and giving him the worship that he's due. And as we do that, he works on our behalf in amazing ways. So we've sought him, we've heard him tell us what to do, whether that's through a prophetic word, whether it's through a verse in scripture that leaps out at us, whether it's, um, whether it's a knowing of just inside knowing what to do. We, he gives us a plan, we act on the plan, we wait for him, we worship, 
he comes through. And amazingly, they were just asking for water. God gave them water, but that water also dealt with a bigger situation. Because when the armies of Moab saw it, they saw blood. So not only did it sort the immediate situation of, guys, of we are really thirsty, but it actually sorted the larger situation of the, we're fighting Moab. I bet it was the last thing from the soldiers' minds at that point. They were so thirsty. And they completed, completely routed Moab, and it was an amazing victory. God gave Jehoram an amazing victory because he was allied with Jehoshaphat. Going through your trouble, if you go through it in this way with your eyes fixed on Jesus, you will bring people with you who don't even know him. They will witness what God is able to do through a life that's devoted to him. They will get the splashback from the blessing and the favor that God puts on your life. How amazing is that? We're told that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. How kind was God to Jehoram here? I'm not convinced Jehoram repented, but hey, at least he got the option. (laughs) Go to God. Find out what he's saying. Do what he's saying. Hold on. Worship. Be ready. That's how we walk through our hard seasons. So I think it would be good to do a couple of things. First of all, I think some of you are probably going through hard seasons and you think it's because of something you did or didn't do. And you've actually, you actually think that you're unable to access God in this season. And it's a lie that the enemy is telling you because he doesn't want you to access God in this season because he knows that when you access God, you'll get the answer. So I think it would be a really good idea for us to go through that. Is that okay? So... I'm actually going to get you to stand up because we want to pray for you. Um, And so if you're going through a rough season right now and you've somehow heard that lie that that it's something that you did or didn't do or that God's trying to teach you something through something bad like mm, all the child abuse stuff, like if that's entered your thinking in any way or if you feel like you're in a rough season you just want someone to pray for you, I want you to stand up. And those around you, we're just going to surround you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to break off those lies. We're going to just bless you in this season and bless you going forward. It's probably, I mentioned this on Saturday, but it's probably worth telling you also that there are four seasons to the Christian life. It's called spring, summer, autumn, and winter. They're normal seasons. It's normal to go through them. Autumn follows summer. Winter follows autumn. Spring follows winter. I had to think about that. Winter's normal. It's cold. The leaves fall off the trees. Everything looks a bit rubbish. It's not because of anything you did wrong. It's because God's preparing you for a spring. Okay? So if you feel like you're in a winter season right now, stand up. We want to pray for you. We want to bless you. Um, We want to just ask God to lavish his grace on you in this place. I'm sure there are more of you. Feel free to stand up as we keep going or just jab your neighbor and say, actually, that's me too. Um, And if you're around these people, we're going to be praying for them. So gather around them. Find someone who's standing up. We'll find someone who just elbowed you and said, pray for me, please. So we're breaking off any lies over them that they've believed that, that somehow God is trying to punish them or God's trying to teach them something or um, that they did something wrong to get into this place. It's not the dad we serve. So I just want you to pray over them a fresh revelation of the father heart of God, of their dad, that they will meet their father, their good father. I want you to pray over them that they'll find new ways of encountering God and that they'll be able to find his voice in the place that they're at. 
just bless them with amazing encounters in this season, amazing revelation in this season, that they will see the lies for what they are and hear truth. as the sons and the daughters of a really extravagantly good father. We bless you with the revelation that not only is he good, he's present. That he never turned his back on you for a second. He's been there all along and he's already set you up for victory. We bless you with dreams, with visions, with encounters, with knowing on the inside the truth of who you are and the truth of who your dad is. We bless you with God's voice penetrating the darkness of your situation loudly enough that you can hear it and get a strategy for how to walk this season. We bless you with any shame or anything that you've picked up that's trying to hide you from hearing God's voice. We break that thing and we say shame does not suit you. We declare great blessing over you and we declare that you will traverse this winter season well and that spring is on the way. With all of its brightness and hope and life. Good job, good job. Well done. Now, some of us went through stuff in the past and some of us are going through stuff now. And as I've been talking, you've just realized that you've just been listening to the wrong newsfeed. Like, you just become one of those people who get panicky really easily and get kind of upset quite fast when you see stuff on the news or something like that. And it's, you're just kind of putting a bit too much stock by the wrong newsfeed. So we're just going to change that. Is that okay with you? We're going to disown panic. And we're going to ask God to make us more sensitive to his newsfeed than the world's newsfeed. Is that okay? So, repeat after me. Father God, we are fed up with being headless chickens. <laughs> so is the world, by the way. So, we are choosing your truth over the world's truth. None of you did the inverted commas. <laughs> Father God, <laughs> any time I forget... And I start to believe that the enemy's broadcast is true. Would you turn my vision towards you? Help me to hear your truth and broadcast your light to the world around me who may not be able to hear the same newsfeed as I can. Nice. Just tap yourself on the shoulder every time. Oh, you're very good. You're doing it immediately now. I hardly need to tell you anything. Every time you start to panic, when you see something on Facebook, when you hear something on the news, when you read something in the paper, when you get told something by a friend and it's bad news, like just tap yourself and just go, Oi, I'm no headless chicken. I've got a higher truth.